Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Amen. Hey, it's great to see you. I am so glad to be back. I've missed you. I've missed you. And some of you I don't recognize, so I've really missed you. I'm, uh, I'm glad you're here as well, and I hope to have the opportunity to, uh, to meet you soon. But uh, I've had a great time on sabbatical. I got to spend some time uh, in a uh, conference on preaching, and uh, then got to spend some time just alone in the uh, mountains of North Carolina with, with the master, and uh, hearing from him for you, for me, for us. And uh, I'm always glad, though, to be back. I, I feel toward you the way Paul felt toward the Philippians, where he writes in Philippians 1, and he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, uh, giving thanks to him with all joy for you. It's right for me, Paul says, to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart because we are together partakers in the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. And that's the way I feel about you. So I miss you when, I, when I'm not with you, but it's good to be home. It's good to be home and it's good to be, it's good to be back. Well, we want to begin a new series as we start this new church year, and this is the beginning of a new church year, the 2018-2019 church year. We want to start a new series and what I am absolutely convinced of is that the Lord has said to me, we, we've got to go back. I want you to go back, focus on prayer. It's time to look again on at prayer. And so we want to spend some time over the next six weeks looking at this incredible gift that God has given to his people, this gift called prayer. We want to see the privilege of it. We want to also see, but not just see, not just in the sense of understanding, but we want to experience as well the power of prayer. And I want, I want to challenge you. My heart, my hope in all of this is that uh, I know, I know you've got problems. I know you've got challenges. I know that there, there are some relationship issues that you're dealing with. I know there are some burdens that you've been carrying around that God is inviting you, inviting you to bring to him. The important thing for us to know is how he wants it brought to him and why and the difference that can make. I'm, I'm praying, I'm asking that God would give us a fresh boldness in prayer, a fresh excitement about prayer, and a fresh boldness and a fresh excitement about what God has in store for us personally and then for us as a church. One of the things I absolutely know and one of the things that we've learned as a church over the years is that when God says, uh, uh, focus again on prayer, every time he's done that, he has done a fresh work in us, through us, and among us every single time. So I'm excited just to see what God's going to do. I'm, I'm excited to see what he's going to do in your, in your life. I'm excited to see what he's going to do in the life of your family. I'm excited to see what he'll do in the life of our church as we look Look again at the privilege and the power of prayer. So I want you to take your Bibles. We're going to go to that classic set of passages taught by Jesus on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking today at verses 5 through 13. 5 through 13. Of course, this is Jesus' most famous sermon. And uh, in this sermon, he's teaching his disciples what it means to follow him. He is the prayer of uh, uh, par excellence. Uh, no, no, uh, no comparison to uh, Jesus, no peer to Jesus in prayer. And he's giving instruction on prayer. In fact, at one point, if you'll remember in the, in the Gospels, his prayer life was so powerful, so meaningful. His disciples came to him and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. We want to pray like you pray. And what he's giving us here is a gift that, that helps us to understand and unpack this gift that he's given us of prayer. And so it is a powerful, powerful passage. And I want us to look together at it uh, this weekend. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, Jesus says, and when you pray, he says that three times, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, 
go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, verse 7, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in the same way that it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but rather deliver us from evil. Today I want to speak to you about God's purpose behind his gift of prayer. One of the uh, many reasons I'm excited about starting this new series is because this fresh sense of, uh, of a call to prayer means a, a fresh opportunity to see God do what only God can do. He has taught us so many things at Center Grove when it comes to prayer. As I look back over uh, the last 12 years, uh, I see lesson after lesson after lesson. Uh, one of the key lessons that, that we've learned together as a church is that every ordinary life, every ordinary family, uh, every ordinary community, every ordinary church that ever, become, that ever became extraordinary always became extraordinary because of the presence and power of persistent prayer. That, 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 that the ordinary life that uh, God has set us free from into that extraordinary life in Christ is fully realized only as a consequence of prayer. Extraordinary problems we've learned that are in need of an extraordinary solution uh, coming from God finds its solution most often in response to prayer. And, and the reason is that God has designed things here in, in such a way that by his choice and by his design, nothing that matters really for eternity ever happens without it. Nothing that happens uh, that really matters ever happens without prayer. And so my hope is that we're going to gain a fresh perspective on prayer and, and make a fresh commitment uh, to prayer and, and have a, a new experience of it. I want to help us do that. And help is the key word because I, I want to say to you right up front, these next uh, six weeks or so, we're looking at prayer. I'm not going to guilt you into praying. I have no interest whatsoever in guilting you into praying more, praying better. It's not my desire. I have no interest in doing that. But what I want you to do, what I want to help you do is confront prayer honestly as the kind of strange problem it, it really is for so many of us. Most followers of Jesus will say they believe that prayer has power and that God answers prayer. But in an odd twist, very few of us really pray consistently or persistently or make a real investment in prayer. Uh, prayer fits the category of those things that we know we need to do more of, but we don't. Few of us seem to feel really good about prayer. If I, if I were to take a poll right here and right now and say, do you really feel uh, uh, as if your prayer life is everything it should be? Uh, chances are pretty good. Most of you would, would uh, say, no, no, it's not. I know it could be better. There, there are a lot of us in this room that feel guilty when it comes to pray. We, we say we, we, to prayer. We say we believe uh, that, that prayer has a power, that God calls us to pray. Uh, but what we believe, what we say we believe about prayer and what we do with it don't line up. Some of us are frustrated. We believe that prayer has power, that God answers prayer, but we don't know what to do with those prayers that we've offered that haven't gotten the answers we expected. We don't know what to do with those prayers that don't seem to get any kind of response. Some of us, quite frankly, when it comes to prayer, feel pretty defeated. We've tried praying. It didn't work as, as expected, and so we've concluded that our prayers somehow just don't cut it like the prayers of somebody else, and so the truth of the matter is we don't pray. We don't pray that much. And so there are a lot of problems. There are a lot of unspoken questions and, and uh, 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 unspoken, unanswered questions that surround the whole subject. So I thought, well, where is the best place to begin? And I think the best place to begin is back at the fundamentals that Jesus lays out for us. And, and I think the best place for us to begin is to ask and explore 
these fundamental questions. We're going to do that today. What, what is prayer for? What is its purpose? And why does God invite us, invite his people constantly in the Old Testament and the New Testament to ask? What's it for? What's its purpose? Why does he call us to ask? Why does he call us to ask? The answer may seem obvious, but we've got to be sure we haven't missed the, uh, the right answer to that set of questions. If we get the answer to these questions wrong, chances are good we're going to get prayer wrong altogether. We'll use it in the wrong ways, thinking it's there for, a, for one purpose when God's given it to us for another purpose. We'll use it in the wrong ways, and we'll miss its intended results. So I want us to unpack that today. So I want you to notice, first of all, as we make our way into our passage, that Jesus presents prayer as a gift, and he says essentially two things. He says prayer is a gift that can be misused. Prayer is also a gift that can be used and used well and used with effect. He says to us, or he shows us rather, that uh, prayer that has an effect, that is treated like the gift it is uh, to us from God, is, is a prayer that recognizes that there is a proper motive for it, a proper manner of doing it, and a proper method in it. And so Jesus points us to the proper motive for prayer, the proper manner of prayer, and the proper method in prayer. He shows us how to take this gift God has given and use it in the right way. And I want to unpack these for you today. Let's look at them. First of all, see with me in verses 5 and 6, the proper motive for prayer. Jesus says in verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. That is, religious people who profess a faithful life with God but who don't practice it. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Today I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, you've got to do it differently. You've got to come at it differently. You've got to come at it with a different motive. You go into your room and shut the door, verse 6, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He will answer the prayer. Now, to understand this passage, we need a little bit of background. The the Jews of Jesus' day were taught, as a matter of course, from their earliest days, to pray at least twice a day, at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. And they were also encouraged to pray in the middle of the day, particularly around noon, noon to one, around that that period. It's a great strategy. You start the day with God. You end the day with God. The middle, you check back in, if you will, with God in the middle to say, all right, here here I am. Uh, Here's what's going on, that kind of thing. The Apostle Paul, of course, he got to the point where he says, I pray without ceasing. I've learned to get up and pray and to, and to make my whole day one long prayer. Uh, that's what I've learned to do. But this is what the Jews did. It's a great idea. It's a great pattern. It's a great routine. Uh, and it's a healthy one. But here's what was going on. There were a lot of folks in, uh, among the Jews who saw that noon prayer time in particular as an opportunity to find the busiest street corner they could find and pray. They wanted to put their prayer on display. They were using prayer, to be sure, but Jesus' point is they were using prayer in the wrong way. They were using prayer to get something. Here, they were using prayer to get the applause and the approval of others. And so they were abusing it. Consequently, Jesus says that they're seen by men, and that's all the divine reward they're going to get out of their praying. And it obviously is the wrong reason to pray. But I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't stop there. He offers the divine alternative, and he says more than we might see initially. He shows uh, how this good gift can be used in the right way. Notice he says in verse 6, but when you pray, speaking to his followers, when you pray, you go into your room. You shut the door, you pray to your father who's in secret, secret as in unseen, and your father who sees in secret, who sees what others don't see, will reward you. It's a different motive. The right motive in prayer is to seek to be seen and heard by God in a time of fellowship with him. Whereas the hypocrites use prayer to gain something, Jesus' followers are to use prayer to gain someone. 
to connect or to commune with God. And so this proper motive, the reason or the why of prayer is never ultimately to gain something, but always to gain someone, to gain God himself. And so prayer is not first and is never first, God, I need money. It's never first, God, I need wisdom. It's never first, God, I need protection. It's never first, God, I need a job. It's never first, God, I need somebody to marry. It's never first, God, I need my marriage healed. Uh, Prayer is never first, God, I need this or that, but prayer is always first as a matter of, of, of motive. It's always, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. I need you. And every time we step into his presence, even though we may have something weighing heavy on our hearts, even though we may be facing a crisis, even though we may be facing years of some issue that we can't quite seem to get through, What moves, what motivates, what drives, what pushes, what calls, what beckons us into this thing called prayer is not what is lacking or what is broken, but the God who is present and the God who is active. I can tell you I know the state of my own walk with Christ. In fact, I think one of the best indicators of the the health of my spiritual life is my prayer life. Because when I am living a life that includes a deep commitment to personal time with God in prayer, I know that I'm living a life that is centered on this one absolute fact of all the needs that I have, of all the hurts that I have, of all the frustrations that I have, of all the disappointments that I have. The one thing that I need and that I must have is a living vibrant, dynamic relationship with the God of this universe. If I don't have that, nothing else matters. Every time then I bow my head or get on my knees in prayer, the motive for being there always should be the God who said he would meet me when I come. Now, once he's gotten that established, I want you to see, then Jesus goes on to talk about the proper manner of prayer. Look at verses 7 and 8. He's he's shown us the proper motive for prayer. Now he speaks to the right manner or the right approach that is to be taken. And he says, and when, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't do it the way they do it. Don't do it the way the, uh, the religious hypocrites do it, and don't do it the way that the uh, Gentile pagans do it. And again, some background is helpful here. Gentile pagans in the first century would often repeat lengthy lists of names of a particular God, believing that if they used all of that God's names in just the right way, said them in just the correct way and in the, just the correct order, that the God being called on could be manipulated to do what they ask. The idea was this, I'll give the gods what they want, I'll honor their, their names, and often a god would have multiples of names, I'll honor their names so that in turn they will give me what I want. Prayer for them was really, at the end of the day, a transaction. I give 
the gods give. I give prayer in order to get their cooperation in my life. But there was more. The, the Gentiles would also use kind of nonsensical expressions repeated over and over again in their prayers to kind of bulk them up, to kind of fill them up. Um, the idea seems to have been that the more you said, the more likely you were to get the God's attention. And so if you were going to have uh, God's cooperation, you needed a God's attention. And so the way you got his cooperation or her, you know, small g God, you, you, would, you would use say the names in the right way, but then you bulk up your prayer. You bulk it up. You add some things in there so the prayer gets lengthy and long. And if you do that, you'll finally get their attention. If you'll pray long enough, you'll get their attention. Have you ever heard a bulked up prayer? Have you ever heard a bulked up prayer? We bulk up prayers with a lot of meaningless nonsense if we're not careful and and some of us have had to sit through them. And if you think about them long, you have no idea what the person is saying. You have no idea what they really want. And you're pretty sure God doesn't even know what they want. And the reason is because they don't know what they want. They're just bulking up their prayer. The longer I make it, the more I'm going to get God's attention. And then I'll get his cooperation. Now, the, the, the most famous form of prayer bulking that there is comes in the use of one word. Do you know what that word is? Do you know what that word is? Bless. Lord, would you just bless Aunt Patty and Uncle John, and would you just bless my children, and would you just bless me, and would you bless our country and bless our president and bless our Congress? Would you really just bless, really, really bless, Lord, really bless I mean, bless Washington, D.C. <laughs> I mean, really, seriously, bless. Now, I have a feeling God's going, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I just want you to bless. What's going on? We're bulking up our prayers. If we can just say bless enough times, maybe somehow, some way, God will do something that will be nice. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Jesus said don't pray like that. Don't pray like that. Don't be, don't be like them. You're to pray very differently. He says don't be like them. Verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, that's a powerful statement. If you mark in your Bible, I want you to underline three words there. For your father, or three words, your father knows. Your father knows. Your father knows. In other words, followers of Jesus don't need to use lots of words to try to get God's attention and then try to manipulate or earn his help. Why? Because your father knows. Well, now what does that mean? Something extraordinary. You see, the prayers of Jesus' disciples don't ever need heaps of words. And because of this fact, God is their true father. God is their true father. Now, I want you to watch this. I want you to watch this. I don't have to. I don't need to. There isn't a formula required for me to get my father's attention. This God, who is God, is truly my father. I don't need to try to get his attention because he is my father. I already have, watch this, I already have his affection. And because I have his affection, I have his attention. And I don't need to use a lot of words to bulk up my prayers. And I don't have to have some kind of very specific formula and call him every name in the Bible in order for him finally to focus his attention on me. The reality is I already have his attention because I already have his affection. He is my father. We went to the uh, beach I don't know, about a month ago, went to the coast, and uh, 
with building, you know, what you build. And when you get to, to the beach and you got four-year-olds who need something to do, the one-and-a-half-year-old was always eating sand, and we left him alone. <laughs> you know, he's, he's busy. He's eating sand. It's, I don't know any doctors here. It's probably good. It's probably, you know, thank you. He said it, not me, roughage. Um, so there you go. There you go. But the other two needed something to do. So, of course, we're building sandcastles and little moats around the sandcastles and putting little flags in with reeds and stuff like that. And we're, we're, we're having a good time. And, 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 and uh, we noticed, though, this one little boy who was about four or five, he kept running toward our sandcastle, threatening it, making menacing faces, not realizing how many uh, long hours we'd been working on this sandcastle, keeping these four-year-old's busy, and uh, what a crisis it would be if this one little boy knocked down all the sandcastle we've been working on, and what a mess that would be. It's tragic. You know it's tragic, right? You know it is. Until you're done, and then it's a divine right that you knock down your castle, and that's... But I noticed this little boy who was always menacing our sandcastle had a mother who was staying, no, no, no kidding, always within 10 feet of him, everywhere he went. And this guy, this little guy, he seemed to have no lack of energy whatsoever. He covered the beach from one end to the other. He never stopped. And his poor mother never stopped. And I thought, wow, what a powerful, powerful picture of the way affection Hold your attention. She wasn't worried about our sandcastle. She was worried about her little boy getting lost. Or, 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 and he, if any kid was going to get lost, he, he, he's probably lost right now. Because <laughs> he didn't stop. But that's, that's a living example. This is what Jesus is saying. Your manner, your approach to prayer should be guided by the fact that this God is truly your father, but it should also be motivated by the fact that this father is also truly God. In other words, he knows what you need. So the first fact is he cares. You have his attention and you have his affection, but he also knows in advance what you need. Now, that means that, that you should pray. Some of us want to, we, we read a passage like this and we go, well, why pray then? If God already knows what we need, why bother asking? Why, why bother God when we know we, we have his attention, we have his affection, we know that he already knows what we need? Why pray? The answer is we pray precisely because of these things. It is because we have his attention, because we have his affection, and it is because he, he already knows what our needs are that we pray to him. You say, well, you're going to have to explain that to me. Okay, I will. We, we pray knowing that he's listening, knowing that he cares, knowing that he knows what we need. Because we are absolutely convinced that this father who loves us is a God who can help us and is one that we can trust. We pray because we know that he can do something about what he knows, that he will do what is best with what he knows, and that he never fails. So the proper manner or approach followers of Jesus are to use is not to try to blanket God with an abundance of words, but to come to him with open, trusting hearts, coming not to inform him of what he already knows, but rather, watch this, to connect with him and to include and invite him into their lives as they are here and now. And this means that followers of Jesus don't need a lot of words in prayer. At the end of the day, they ultimately need, say, nine. Now, I'm not recommending you only pray with nine words every time you pray, but I'm giving you a pattern. Here it is, here it is, here it is. That at the, at the core of it, because, watch now, of who God is, at the core of it, because, watch now, of who you are, if you are in Christ, your prayer ultimately comes down to this. Here's my life. Here's my need. I trust you. Here's my life. Here's my need. I trust you. 
And this is the right manner, this is the right approach to prayer. And the extraordinary thing is that when God is actively invited and included in our lives through this kind of prayer, we find that he becomes actively and noticeably involved in our lives through prayer. When you begin to pray and you begin to say, here's my life, here's my need, I trust you. What you begin to find, and you mean it, what you begin to find is that God begins to work and to move in that situation. He begins to lead. He begins to guide. He begins to comfort. He assures. He strengthens. He gives understanding. And when we pray this way with this attitude, God delights to show himself strong on our behalf. Now, if we're not convinced of that, then we won't pray seriously. But when we are convinced that the only place to deposit our lives is with him, when we are convinced that he already knows our needs and he cares, when we are convinced of our radical need of him in the midst of this life we're leading, God delights to show himself strong on our behalf. I got to thinking about this, this whole picture of God as Father. And it occurred to me that, you know, the three most powerful words that I think uh, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my mother, the three most powerful words they could say to me are not, I love you. The three most powerful words they could say to me are, I need you. You say, I need you, you got my attention. Now, it's not, you know, I, I, I need my third frosty. I don't mean like that. I, I mean, <laughs> I've got a real need. I know the difference between a need and a want. But there's something in me, especially as a father. If I hear one of my children say, I need you, it grabs my attention, grabs my heart. Gentlemen, anybody else like me? Anybody, anybody else? Come on, guys. Yeah? Am I telling it right? Am I telling it right? Come on. Did these other pastors not get you to talk back to them? Or did <laughs> Oh, you got my full attention. Why? Because you got my full affection. You say, Daddy, I need you. I'm, I'm there. I'm there. Why would we think it would be any different with the God who has become our Father in Jesus Christ? See, this is what Jesus was getting at later in his sermon when he said these unforgettable words. He said, listen, as you're living... Pray. As you're living, ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and, and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. This is the way things work in God's economy with God's family. You don't believe me? Jesus says, oh, okay. Which of you, if his son asks him for, a, for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, in other words, if you then, who are fallen and broken, and you have this tendency towards selfishness and self-centeredness, if you, of all people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If a human father feels that way, how does a perfect, infinite father feel toward his children in Christ Jesus? In Christ, if you know Christ, God is your true father. Your father is truly God. He knows. He cares. He acts in ways that are best. 
And part of what Jesus is underscoring for, for us here is, listen, 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 as you're walking through this life and as you're facing broken relationships and as you're facing bills you can't pay and decisions that you need to make that, that have to have some wisdom to them, as you're walking through life and you're dealing with issues that leave you completely confused when you're walking through that kind of life, Go to your Father. Seek your Father first. Go to your Father and remember that He knows and remember that He cares and understand that essentially at the heart of it all, because your Father is who He is and because you are to Him who you are, a son or a daughter, much love, you have an opportunity that you didn't have before you came to Christ. You have the opportunity to include God and to invite Him to come in on His terms, not yours. His terms with His wisdom and His insight and His power and His love. You have the opportunity to invite Him and include Him right where you're living with all that you're dealing with right here, right now. Some of you some of you have been living much too long Carrying around issues and problems. You've been carrying with you burdens you can't get free of. And some of you have been living lives stuck And have almost come to assume that there is no answer, no solution, no fix. And you waved the white flag. And your greatest problem is not the problem you can't solve, but the fact that you have forgotten or you don't understand who your Father is. There are several of you right now in this... In this congregation, I can see it. I can see the, um, what do they call those, the word bubbles hanging over your heads. I can see it. Yes, but. Yes, but. Yes, but. You don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't need to know. Don't want to know. I haven't got time to hear everybody's problems between this service and the next. That's the reason. But, but, but I don't need to know. You see, there's something to this Father who is also God. Nothing is impossible for Him. And what He wants to hear from you is, Father, here is my life. Not on my terms, yours. Here is my need. And I trust you. I trust your heart. I trust your wisdom. I trust your power. And even when the things that you allow come into my life don't make any sense to me. 
Here's my life. Here's my need. I trust you. See, some of us, we already spend way too much time holding on to our lives, going over our needs, and trusting ourselves. I've not done a scientific study of this, but I'm going to tell you And when we try to solve our biggest problems, challenges, and relational fractures, we have a .000009% chance of getting it right. You write that down, figure out how small that is later. It's small. But when you include God and you invite Him in, instead of excluding Him, And leaving him out. Things start to happen. And things start to change. It may even be imperceptible to you at first. You hang in there. Here's my life. Here's my need. I trust you. He never fails. Because of who he is. Mm. All right, somebody say amen. Somebody else say amen. Somebody say that's right. Somebody else say that's good. Now, somebody else say, that's good and mean it. (laughs) Okay, good. That means we can go on to our third point, which is the proper method in prayer. Verses 9 to 12. He's shown us the right manner and the right... uh, the right motive and the right manner. And Jesus is saying, you got to get your, manner, your motive right, then you got to get your manner right, then you, then you work on your, your method. He gives us the right method or, or, or the procedure for praying in his famous model prayer. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now let me walk you through this quickly as a way to understand how to, how to uh, use his model in your own praying. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 9, how Jesus begins. He begins with exaltation. He doesn't go straight, he doesn't even go straight to, he doesn't go to confession. He doesn't go, go to, to the need. He says, immediately he goes to exaltation. He says, our father, literally our Abba, our daddy. And it is this that sets the tone for the rest of the prayer is one that is first and foremost relational. I'm coming to you as the God who is my Father. I'm coming to you as the Father who is God. This is an intimate prayer focused on the Father's greatness. The Father who is God who is in heaven. My Father, may your name and your person be kept sacred and magnified and celebrated in every area of life by me. By others, even as I pray. And then he moves, secondly, notice to submission, verse 10. He says, your kingdom, your kingdom rule, your kingdom come, so that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a declaration of yieldedness to God, expressing a personal desire for what God desires and what God works for to be accomplished both now and in the future. It says, I want what you want, and I want to see it accomplished your way. And this is a powerful picture because, first, I'm I'm acknowledging to whom I'm speaking, the great God of the universe who is also my Father, but I'm also taking this posture of submission. And I love this about our logo for the series. If you look at the S, you got your note card there. If you look at the S, the posture is one of submission. It is of a figure who is bowing taking this posture of submission. Now watch this, watch this. If I have, by way of motive and manner, I've come to say to God, God, 
Here is my life. I give you my life. God, here is my need. And I trust you. Jesus is teaching us to say, great God, great king of the universe, here is, here is my need. And I trust you. But he also teaches us to say with submission, I want your will to be done. I want your will to be done your way. Even, not, not, not just across the planet, but in this broken relationship of mine. But in this lack of a job. In this disappointment I've experienced. In this pain I'm going through. Not my will. Yours be done. Do what you will. I trust you. Do you see the difference? I once knew a woman. I prayed with her. And oh my goodness, she scared me to death. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. We were praying over a certain matter. And I prayed and then she prayed. She was commanding God to do this and to do that. She was the wife of a general. And I don't know if she got confused. <laughs> she spent all her life in the, in, in the army and with her husband. And she learned to give orders. And now she's giving them to God. And I, I remember praying with her. And I, and I heard her give him his first order. And then I heard her give him a second order. And she was saying things like, I commend you. I finally had to just look up and look at her, and I thought to myself, what? Well, actually, what I thought was, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and then I thought, well, what, what view of God do you, do you have? I, I couldn't even begin. I mean, I'm, I'm down here. I, I, what do I say to the God of the universe except, here's my need, and I trust you. I'm just going to get up and say, now here, I got this broken marriage and I want you to do three things. Fix him. He's a bum. <laughs> get him a seven-figure job. Make him nice. No doubt your husband is a mess and needs a lot of help, ma'am. I'm absolutely sure of it but this is what you need to do with him. Your will, your way. I trust you. Well, from that, Jesus moves on to dependence in verses 11 to 13. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive in our debtors. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice this, this dependence. There is a declaration at the end. This is where he finally gets to the give me and, and the give us portions of prayer that we tend to go to first there at the end. And they show first a dependence on God for provision, even in the physical. It shows us a dependence upon God for restoration in the moral he says, forgive us our debts. I have nowhere else to go for forgiveness but to you. I, I, I must have your forgiveness and your help. I cannot forgive myself. These sins that I brought before you that stand between us, only you can release them. I can't outwork them. Forgive me in the moral realm. And then finally, he prays for dependence on God for protection in the spiritual realm. Three places where I cannot help myself and I dare not try. In the physical, even with the basic elements of life. In the moral, in my trying to be good, I always fail. My, my righteousness is an unrighteousness. I can't get it right. I need his help. And when I fail, I need his forgiveness. And thirdly, protection in the spiritual realm because I have an enemy. Keep me from giving in to Satan's temptation. Make me strong in the fight with my own impulses and with the evil one. And when he attacks, rescue me is the prayer. 
So in this model prayer, Jesus shows us that the best method is not a matter of praying at God from a distance with the right words, but it is a matter of drawing close to God with the right attitudes of exaltation followed by submission, followed by a radical declaration of dependence on Him for everything that we need. The right motive, the right manner, the right method centered on God. All matter when it comes to prayer. So to our question, what is prayer for and what is its purpose and why does God invite us to ask? The answer is this. The purpose of prayer is relational. It is never transactional. God is not a divine ATM machine where if you've got the right card and the right code, you can put the card in, put the code in, and get out of him what you want. Life doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. He never has. And if you pray to him like an ATM God, you're going to be very, very disappointed. When you come to him, What he's seeking to give you first and foremost is himself. And what he gives you first and foremost is exactly what you need first and foremost. Himself. Oh, 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 can you see it? Get rid of the ATM machine. Stop asking God for stuff and start seeking God. You start there, all the other things, they start to come. In his timing and in his way, they start to come. There is a power that attaches to that kind of prayer. father knows your father knows you've got his full attention and his affection go to him I want to ask you if you would all across the room stand two feet people this size there are hurts and disappointments and frustrations problems without end I'm sure struggles confusion And if today you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to do something. In the Old Testament, the Scripture says Hezekiah of old was faced with an insurmountable problem he couldn't overcome. He took that problem and he spread it out before the Lord. And he essentially prayed that prayer that God delights to hear. And as this service closes, I want to invite you to do something. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to pause just a moment and reflect on that thing right now. That person, that problem, that relationship, that burden, that barrier. that has had so much of your attention and your problem solving and all of these things and perhaps it's a place where you feel the most stuck and what I want to invite you to do today is to take that thing and bow before the Lord and say Lord here is my life 
here is my need. And I trust you. With heads bowed and with eyes closed all across the room. If you're a follower of Christ, would you just extend your hands, put your hands together and say, Lord God, here's my son and my daughter. Here's the job I can't find. Here's my past. Here's my future. Father God, here's this thing that's weighing me down, this burden I can't get free of. Here is my life. Here is my need. I trust you. I trust you. still bowed and eyes still closed in this room there are some folks here today who've never given their lives to Christ you spent all of your days living under your own control and direction. Perhaps today for the very first time you've caught a glimpse of the God of the universe in Christ as a father capable of an infinite love and the way we know this is in the way in which he sent his son and the way in which Jesus lived his life and then gave his life on the cross for sinners. It's in his giving of himself and in his resurrection that we see the power of God's love, the purpose of it, and the essence of his fatherhood. And for some here today, all your life you've been hungering and in need of a father who could love you, forgive you, restore you. That Father is the God and Father of Jesus. And as by faith you put your life in His hand and ask Him to forgive you of your sin, the promise of God is that through His Son He'll give you a brand new life bring you into his father into his family and in Christ become the father you so desperately need and if you would today say to him these words Father I give you my life I need forgiveness I ask you to forgive me given what Christ has done on the cross and given his resurrection I trust you to receive me as I give myself to you and ask you to forgive me and give me new life. As you've prayed that prayer, he keeps his promise. Father, 
maker of heaven and earth. We acknowledge our need of you. We bow before you. We rejoice in the fact that we can be radically dependent upon you and you never fail us. We're strengthened by the fact that you know and you care. May we, as we go from this place today, I pray, go with a fresh confidence and a fresh commitment to stay bowed, hands together, trusting you as we walk through this day, this week, this month, until we have this unspeakable joy of seeing you deliver answers, deliver answers to our prayers. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.